Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. We fight a little bit more now than we ever used to, just because he's kind of dramatic. <laughs> now, we still get along, but as you know, she's now 13, so she's getting kind of annoying. Even though he like doesn't look like it, if he sees like babies or something, he just wants to hold, be able to hold them the entire time and not have to like go over and like talk with everyone else. He just wants to be able to hold them the entire time to himself. So when we went to the groundbreaking for Vision 2020, Max saw Ulysses' video about this young man using his birthday party as a way to raise funds for Vision 2020. And Max thought that was a great idea. I already knew I didn't really need anything new, so I was just like, I kind of just didn't know what to do for my birthday. So basically that just kind of guided me toward what to do. And my first reaction was, huh, that is a bold move, kid. And then I thought, that's a bold move, kid. Of course you can do it. And so that was not close to his birthday. So when his birthday came around, I thought, will he remember that this was his plan? And sure enough, uh, mom, we need to get the invitations out. Make sure you're putting that, we're donating to the hospital. And all right, we're doing this. Yeah, um, instead of presents, I, uh, people gave money and donated. So what I did is I made like the donation box out of like a shoe po- box and then I like spent like all day like making it pretty and like wrapping paper and stuff like that. Because when it comes from our texture to me, you, you don't want me doing any of that, okay, believe me. I really like love helping people. <laughs> like on like my grandparents' Christmas cards it said like, Sophia, age nine, loves helping. I mean, I'd never done it before so I was kind of like hoping that we could just raise as much as possible. I mean, <laughs> not gonna say an expectation to people, you know. <laughs> the first time I did it, we ended up getting $600. I mean, $600, you know, it's not it's not huge, but anything can make a difference and it's, I still have Christmas. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't need much, so these kids don't really get, even get to have their own party. They just like, have to be in a hospital all day, and I get to go to school and, you know, play outside and do all that, but they just have to sit in the hospital all day. I was like, well, they definitely need some more things to do than I do. (laughs) So it came up around the time of his next birthday party. I had told him it would be a smaller party. He said, that's fine. I I think I still want to ask for donations again instead of gifts. So then I ended up raising about $900 the next year. So, I mean, $1,500 is a lot, and you multiply that by the number of kids who could do that. 1500 you know, for an organization who's trying to raise, you know, millions of dollars. It's not huge, but it can add up eventually. Ten kids do that, that's already... I don't feel like doing math right now because I'm already done with school, but probably like $15,000 maybe. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. 
so it was really neat. They had Max bring his donation to the children's hospital. They had some patients come down and speak to Max and thank Max. They did a really nice job of making sure they knew how much they appreciated what he had done. for the love of God, you know, giving and Christian-based family, you know. I think mainly that's what encouraged me, you know. It's good to be selfless, not selfish, you know. <laughs> I think probably what the kids have seen more than anything is gifts of time. Anthony's job is very service-oriented, and he's involved in a lot of community organizations outside of the hospital, and I know the kids have come to some of those events and have been very aware that dad is giving extra time outside of that. Both sets of grandparents are very involved in the community and they have helped at the Little White House. So I think what they saw more than anything was examples of people f participating. There's a real sense of here's what we're all doing and take it on together. I think my parents definitely impacted it a little bit, at least because they give like donations things and help support things. I'll definitely give again. I don't know where I'm going to give. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, have, I have lots of options. <laughs> Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday, dear Max! Those were some really powerful moments for me of the community working together, of seeing God using human hands to do his work. I hope they would learn that God is generous. God is generous with his time. Um, he's generous with what he gives us. Um, I One thing I love that happened in this case is Max felt something pulling on his heart uh, to do something, and he responded immediately and said, I can do that. Um, I hope they will continue to listen to that voice. God is calling us all to give um, to others. And you know, if I were in that situation, power in the children's hospital, you know, I'd want stuff to do, and as the Golden Rule says, do to others as you would have them undo to you. I was trying to do that act because I know that I would like them to do the same to me if I were in that situation. The title of our camp meeting sermon series this year is Faithful. So maybe right at the outset, we need to define our term, faithful. If you look it up in the dictionary, you will find that it has definitions such as someone who remains true to duty, someone who can be counted on to fulfill their word, Someone who is reliable and trustworthy. Those are all good definitions. But when it comes time to define something like this, I really don't want a dictionary to define it. I'd rather have people and actions and stories define the term. In other words, what does it look like? So I have some things with me here today that might help us understand a little bit about what that term faithful means. One year when our kids were young, we gave them two dogs as, as Christmas gifts, a black lab and a yellow lab. The yellow lab we gave to our son Austin, the black lab to our daughter Miranda. 
It was during the time where there was a buildup toward the Iraq War, and I, I thought, you know, I could help George W. Bush win the next election because the two weapons of mass destruction are in our backyard. They're destroying everything. <laughs> but they were good dogs. Our kids and those dogs were almost inseparable. Now, the yellow lab, Maverick, that was Austin's dog, he didn't eat food. He inhaled it. It was just whoop, and it was like a vacuum cleaner. It was just gone. So one day I gave him a bagel, and I was curious that day that he took that bagel and he just held it in his mouth, almost as if he were trying to savor it. Just lay in the yard and held the bagel in his mouth. So I went and got my phone. I took a couple of pictures of him holding this bagel in his mouth. You look at that picture and you think, is that a really big smile or are those really big lips? <laughs> but I don't think dogs have lips, so it can't be that. He just lay there and held the bagel in his mouth. Precious dog. Tragically, midnight, Miranda's dog was struck and killed by a car. I still remember that evening. It was a very sad evening in our family's life. Austin and I dug a grave in which to bury her. And what I saw next was truly moving to us. Maverick was there beside her broken body. He continued to smell her all over, and he lay down right beside her. When the time came when Austin and I lifted that body into the grave, he climbed into the grave with her. We had to be rather firm to get him out of the grave. Now, I'd heard such things. I'd heard of dogs being being faithful, waiting for their owners on the porch, waiting in the front yard, sleeping on an owner's grave. I had heard those, but I'd never quite experienced that. Faithful. Now, I don't want to pick the wrong, paint the wrong picture because Maverick and Midnight were inseparable, but had there been other dogs around, they wouldn't have been so faithful. Dogs don't mate for life. Now, certain animals do. For example, penguins mate for life. It's a wonderful thought until you hear the talk show host Ellen DeGeneres say, well, of course they mate for life. They all look exactly alike. It's not like you're finding anybody better looking. <laughs> In fact, how do you even tell if you're being unfaithful? It's like, is that you? I think that's you. I'm not sure that's you. But not so with dogs. Now, it's interesting to know that if you go back into history and you look even in the ancient world, in the artwork of the ancient world, scholars believe that dogs were painted in as symbols of faithfulness. After all, they are called man's best friend. And maybe the best known dog name of all is the dog, is the dog name Fido. Comes straight from the Latin term fidus, meaning faithful, Related to the Marine Corps martyr Semper Fidelis, always faithful. So maybe that's a definition for the term faithful. When you go home today, caress your dog, speak kindly to him, to her, thank him or her for their faithfulness. I have something else I brought here this morning. It's something that sits in my office. It's a football, it's an autographed football. Sometimes when people walk into my office, they look at the football and the case, and they say, well, we see the name, but who is that? Whose autograph is on the ball? Well, the autograph is the autograph of Roger Staubach. Roger Staubach was quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys back in the 70s. 
in the era when I was growing up and starting to watch football, he was kind of the hero. He was Captain Comeback. We all loved Roger Staubach. Roger was known to be a very hard worker, to be a very faithful person. Unusual, he was fairly young, but married with children, faithfully married with children. That was also the era of Joe Namath. Joe Namath of the New York Jets. Broadway Joe, they called him, for his profligate ways. He was known to be a drinker, a womanizer. In fact, sports writers often needle Staubach comparing and drawing contrast between he and Namath. In one interview, Staubach must have gotten irritated. After the interviewer kept asking him a question, he finally said to the interviewer, look, I have sex just as much as Joe does. I just have it with one woman. <laughs> Faithful. Now, in that era, in the era when Staubach played, football players didn't make a lot of money. So when the offseason rolled around, they had to work to support themselves and their family. So Staubach went to work selling real estate. Thus it was when he retired, he founded a corporate real estate company, went to work just as hard in real estate as he had worked in football. And his company grew and increased and prospered. In fact, it did so well that they began to tap him on the shoulder and tried to get him to do other things. For example, they tried to get him to run for mayor of Dallas or, or governor of Texas or even for the U.S. Senate. But Stavok said, no, no, I've given my word to my people here in my company. We're in this together. I've, I've got to stay by them. And so he stayed and did well. In 2008, Stavok sold the company for $663 million. Imagine. But imagine this. He donated 88% of that money, $583 million, to over 300 of his employees. Spread the wealth. Faithful to the people, he said, I'm not going for something else. I'm here with you. Now, I'll admit, I have some bias. I'm a Staubach fan. But whether you're biased or not, that seems remarkable. In fact, Staubach has kind of reached into and touched this community. Some years ago, a young student at Loma Linda Academy Elementary School was facing a very serious health crisis, so serious that it would ultimately take her life. She was a big Cowboys fan. She was turning 12 on December 12 of 2012. 12, 12, 12, she would become 12. Staubach wore number 12. So my colleague, Joel Royer, got on the line and talked to Staubach's assistant, told her the story, who told the story to Staubach. Staubach was touched by the story, sent her an autographed football. You can see a picture of it, autographed football on which he wrote, You're in my thoughts and prayers. Seems like an example of that word, faithful. I also brought something that hangs on the wall of the dean's office of the School of Medicine. It's a beautiful piece. It's called the Physician's Oath. Every year, third Friday night in February, right here in this sanctuary, the freshman medical students gather with their families. They are here for the freshman medical dedication. There's a moment in the service. I've had the privilege of speaking for it for a number of years. There's a moment in the service 
When the students are called one at a time up onto the stage and are given a Bible with their name inscribed on the cover. It's a touching moment. But then at the end of the service, they line up all the way across the front of the church. All the steps are covered. 170, 180, 190 of them up here. And the dean of the School of Medicine leads them in the reading and taking of the physician's oath. That's what hangs in his office, the physician's oath. It begins with these words. Before God, these things I do solemnly promise. I promise to further the teaching and healing ministry of Jesus Christ. And then it continues one statement at a time until it has touched virtually every area of their life. All you have to do is read that first line to know this has to do with being faithful. Before God, these things I do solemnly promise. Faithful. I brought something else here. Something else here that I know a little bit about these days it has to do with a wedding. It's a wedding band my wedding band. I won't put it on after because it, I need something to lubricate it to get it on, but this is my wedding band. It's that outward symbol of an internal commitment, a commitment made to this other person, a commitment of faithfulness. I suppose that's why Michelle Moore, do you remember Michelle? Michelle was Pastor Rob Moore's wife. Rob was our junior high and youth pastor here for a number of years. I suppose that's why Michelle had engraved inside of Rob's ring what Rob told us he had engraved. He said, yeah, Michelle engraved my ring. Now, I thought, well, people often engrave rings. They engrave the, the date, uh, hearts, uh, the names. He said, yeah, she engraved the inside of my ring. On the inside of my ring, it says, what's this doing off? <laughs> <laughs> Faithful. Maybe that's what it looks like. That moment in the wedding service where the future soon-to-be spouses slip that band, that representative symbolic statement onto each other's fingers and say I do to the statement in sickness and in health, in prosperity or adversity, forsaking all other, keep you only unto him, only unto her, so long as you both shall live. Faithful. I brought a couple of books. Here's a book entitled Escape from Saigon, How the Church Survived the Final Days of the Vietnam War, a story that is dangerous, filled with risk, filled with courage, filled with faithfulness, written by our own church member, Ralph Watts. Now, I want to tell you, this story is... Well, actually, if you want to know what this story is, you've got to come back tonight at 7 p.m. Come back right here to the sanctuary, and you will hear the story. Here's another book, a book entitled Railway to the Moon. Now, Railway to the Moon is the story of Loma Linda University and Loma Linda University Medical Center. 
The title is drawn from a statement made by John Harvey Kellogg. Many years ago, decades ago, when the plan was to establish a medical school and a sanitarium or hospital here at Loma Linda, the doctor, John Harvey Kellogg, felt, found out about that plan, and he said, it's crazy to think that that's going to have any success. Building that kind of an institution there is like building a railway to the moon. It'll never happen. This is the story of how it happened. In fact, this is a story to be continued. Because this is a story being continued by people like someone named Max. Max, a young boy, you saw his story, who saw that that railway to the moon is being extended these days. And something stirred within him. Max had parents and grandparents that he watched and that somehow wove into the fabric of his life that sense that to be faithful meant not just words and promises, but actions and deeds. And so Max, well, you saw what he did. A selfless act to help build that railway a bit further. Faithful. Oh, I do have to tell Max one thing. I was fouling your dad. I don't care who you are. That was a foul going to the hoop there. <laughs> <laughs> or then another book. This book. This book is filled with statements and terms and stories, examples of faithfulness. It's also filled with examples of those who fail. I've been rereading this book yet again this year. In these recent weeks, I've been in the prophets, and I have been struck by one thing yet again, and that is how often, over and over and over again, the prophets are calling Israel back to faithfulness to their covenant with God. Time and again, it's though the prophets are saying, Come back, come back. Where are you going? Why are you going to the other gods? Why are you abandoning the God of covenant faithfulness? Return to God over and over again. It's in one of those moments, one of the very early moments when that occurs, that we find our text for today. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10. Deuteronomy, chapter 10, tells the story of Moses standing before the people and talking with them about where it all began. He takes them back to the very foundation of the covenant, what that covenant entailed, and calls them to covenant faithfulness. In fact, before we read the passage, I want to read you words written about the passage, words written by the Old Testament, eminent Old Testament scholar, Christopher Wright. Wright writes, this. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 22, is unquestionably one of the richest texts in the Hebrew Bible. Exalted and poetic in its language, comprehensive and challenging in its message, it purposely tries to boil down the whole theological and ethical content of the book into memorable phraseology, packed and pregnant, 
rich and resonant of all the surrounding preaching. Indeed, there are not many dimensions of Old Testament theology that are not directly expressed or indirectly echoed in this mini symphony of faith and life. That's today's text. So the context... In the book of Deuteronomy, the entire book, Moses is speaking to the people, retelling them the story of the last 40 years, of their foundation as the people of God, of the covenant that they've created, of their successes, and mostly of their failures. At this moment, in Deuteronomy 10, he has just finished retelling the story of the golden calf incident, that shameful incident in Israel's history when they abandoned God and faithfulness to God. In fact, they had just signed on to the covenant. They had just said, yes, we'll do it. We want to be a part of it. And just a few days, a mere few weeks later, they're dancing in front of the golden calf to their shame. Well, Moses has just reminded them of that story, of what happened. And then he goes on to tell them what God expects from them. Here's the image I would compare it to. It's as though God and the people of Israel have walked into the marriage therapist's office, and the therapist is Moses. And Moses sits there and looks at both. And then he points at God and looks at the people and says to them, Do you know what he wants out of you? Do you know what he expects from you? Do you understand what you've done to him? And then comes the word, come the words of today's passage, Deuteronomy 10, starting with verse 12. And now, Israel, says Moses, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good? What does the Lord require of you? What does he want of you? What does he expect of you? And then Moses gives them five words. Five words which detail God's expectations of them. He begins with the word fear. What, is, what does he want of you? He wants you to fear the Lord your God. Now, when we think of fear, we think of fright, of shaking in our sandals, our boots, of anxiety. That's not the concept here. The concept, rather, is one of reverence and awe. After all, in just a few verses, Moses will speak of God saying, He is the mighty God, grand and glorious. So he said, God wants you to respect him, to reverence him. You cannot treat him with dispassion. You cannot interact with him carelessly, thoughtlessly, as though he doesn't matter. What does he expect of you? To fear him. But he continues, not only to fear him, he says he wants you to walk in obedience to him. 
He draws on the imagery of living life together. We today speak of it as discipleship. That's how we walk with God, how we walk with Jesus. It's our discipleship journey. Well, Moses speaks to them, he says. He wants you to walk in obedience to him. He wants every day as you journey through the life that lies ahead of you in the promised land, he wants to be your companion, your constant guide. He wants you to walk with him. But thirdly, he wants you to love him. Now, you have to understand that the word love in the book of Deuteronomy is not a lacy, frilly, feel-good emotion. It's not the stuff of romantic evenings. No, no. In the book of Deuteronomy, love has to do with the actions that contribute in any possible way to the building of the covenant with God. Anything that you choose to do that builds, that deepens your relationship with God, that serves the people around you, that in Deuteronomy is loving God. And it's almost as though he's building on that, that he adds the fourth word. Fear God, walk with him, love him, serve him. Serve him. In other words, come to the place in your life, Moses is saying, where what you do, how you live your life, often is decided in answer to the question, God, what would you have of me? What do you want me to do? Let me be guided by your heart. Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Let my heart be given joy with the things that bring joy to your heart. Let me go on your errands today. And then the last word in a sense, summarizes all of it by saying, observe. Observe all the commands and directives that the Lord has given you. So what does God require of you? There's a lot to fear, to walk with, to love, to serve, and to fulfill what he has asked of you. Now, when you read that, and if I asked you to summarize that, I wonder how you would do so. I thought about that this week, and I thought I can summarize that very simply. What God expects of us is everything. Everything. He expects faithfulness. Now, let's be honest. As we read that, as we read the elevated standard God here lays out through Moses, it would be very easy for us to slip back into old-styled, old-fashioned legalism. Just plain legalism. It would be very easy for us to say, you know, after I read that, after I read what God expects of us, it seems to me that everything about this covenant relationship is based on performance, on doing what he told us to do, on just obeying him. It seems legalistic to me. It would be easy to slip into that reading these words. Except for what comes next. Because the next thing to which Moses turns is where it all began. He next moves to talking with them about what the foundation, what the basis of the covenant is, what sustains and supports and nurtures it. So read that with me. Back to Deuteronomy 10, this time verse 14. He says, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, 
the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribe. He will go on from there to talk about how then they must treat those around them that have been marginalized, pushed to the edges, have nothing that will provide for their needs. He goes on to talk about that, but not yet. First, he says, understand this, Israel. God is sovereign. He's the grand, glorious God of the galaxies. Everything you see spun pristine and pure from his creative hand. Every person you see has God's fingerprints on him and on her. It all belongs to God. And yet, with a God who owns it all, he looked at you and he said, I choose you to be my special people, that through you my love might be spread to all the nations, in all the nations of the earth, they will find blessing in you. He chose you. His love, his faithfulness, his goodness, Scripture states it time and time again. Those are the realities which undergird and sustain the covenant. Because you see, with theology, with covenant, God always acts first. Any action on our part is mere response to God's previous action. God is always the one that works first. Those of us who love Sabbath ought to know that. Read the creation account. We spoke of it months ago, but read it. Time and again in that creation account, evening and morning were the first day, evening and morning the second, evening and morning, evening and morning, evening and morning. It always started with night. It always begins with that period when we rest and God works. And then the first full day of the human experience was Sabbath, rest. Resting in the accomplished work of God. God always acts first. He takes the first move. He makes the first step. The divine initiative, theologians call it. And that's what Moses is saying here. Yes, he has expectations of you to be faithful. No question. But understand that faithfulness is response to what he's already done in choosing you. Even Jesus did this. That was the way Jesus worked. Trace his footsteps throughout his ministry. You will see it over and again. Maybe a good example would be the example of that perennial favorite of children of all ages, Zacchaeus. If you have kids, you may have been in Sabbath school with them recently singing that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Remember that song? Zacchaeus. 
that man who had lined his pockets with the wealth of his fellow countrymen and women, skimming off the top and placing the rest at the feet of the hated Romans. They hated people like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had trouble. When Jesus came to town, when he appeared on the scene, Luke tells us Zacchaeus wanted to see him. In fact, Luke's precise words are, he wanted to see who he was. It's as though he wanted to peer into this soul. Is this the man about whom I've heard these things about him embracing those who have been rejected? Is this the man? I want to see him. But Luke says Zacchaeus was small of stature. And the crowd was large and thick. He couldn't see over the shoulders. And so he ran. Something no dignified Jewish man would have done. He ran down the street. He climbed a tree. Something no dignified Jewish man would ever have done. But in that tree, he looked down and had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. So, the lesson seems clear. Circumstances may conceal Christ, but searching will reveal Christ. And he was willing to search. He was willing to go to any lengths. He was willing to take any steps necessary to find God. It seems. And then we read the punchline. Jesus says at the end of the story, This day salvation has come to this house. For he too is a son of Abraham. And then he adds the punchline. For, says Jesus, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Wait a minute, Jesus. I thought this was a story about a man and his search for God. You're telling me this is a story about God and his search for a man. I thought this was a story of a man who who embarrassed himself by running in order to get a glimpse of God, and you're telling me this is a story about a God who humbled himself by running to embrace the prodigal. I thought this was a story of a man who climbed a tree in order to see God. You're telling me it's the story of a God who climbed a tree in order to save that man. That's the way Jesus worked. The divine initiative. Zacchaeus thought he was seeking Jesus when the whole time Jesus was seeking him. Over and again, that's the reality. It's God's faithfulness, his faithful love, his faithful commitment, his faithful seeking out of those who are lost that gives us any hope of ever responding in faith and faithfulness ourselves. The divine initiative. It's what happens in those moments when every person in the room is glued to his chair by fear and pride until finally Jesus stands up, girds himself with a towel, takes a basin in water, and begins to wash people's feet. The divine initiative. God takes the first step. That's where it all begins. And that's 
what Moses was telling his people. Oh, make no mistake about it. God wants faithfulness from you. But understand that is built on utter, unyielding, unwavering, unflinching faithfulness on the part of God. So I want to ask you to do something for me. I want to ask you, as we move through this camp meeting series, as we ponder the different realities of being faithful, I want to ask, would you open your mind, open your heart to the influence of the Spirit of God? We live in a faithless world. It seems to become more faithless every day. God is calling, wooing, inviting people to live in faithful covenant relationship with Him. I want to ask if you would be willing to allow the Spirit to knead that in to the loaf of your mind. Weave it into the fabric of your heart. Because the truth is simple. That God that Moses described, that grand and glorious God of the galaxies, He stands at the door and knocks. Knocking on your door. Waiting to see if you will answer. If you answer, he says, I want to come in, sit down, get to know each other intimately. I want, to, I want to show you my faithfulness, and I want to ask something of you. What does he want to ask of you? Well, you have to respond to the knock on the door. But if you respond, if you come to know of his faithfulness for you, he will ultimately look at you and say, Child, what about you? Will you be faithful to me? Gracious God, our hearts are stirred. Our minds are expanded. Our vision is broadened to consider the faithfulness of God. Lord, we don't know all the ways that faithfulness might appear in our world. We've considered a few. But you know the way faithfulness needs to be lived out in this community. So we want to open that door this camp meeting season. Open the door to you. Sit down with you and hear what you would say to us. Lead us, we pray, in the journey to being faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.